If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Galatians chapter 3. We'll return to Galatians this morning as we continue to work our way through the epistle of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 will be our text this morning. But before we read, would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we open your holy word this morning, I pray, God, that you would teach us your truth. Lead us by your Holy Spirit, Father. Give us discernment by your Holy Spirit. Give us insight into the truth of your word. And Lord, would you apply it to our lives? I pray this morning, God, that your anointing would rest upon us, upon my lips as I speak, upon our ears and minds as we listen and think upon the truth of your word. And I pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is The Law's Curse and Faith's Blessing. And in this text that we're looking at this morning, it's a continuation, of course, from two weeks ago when, uh, when Andrew preached on verses 1 through 9, and he, he looked at justification by faith. And the example that Paul gives of Abraham, the patriarch of, of the people of Israel, to speak to justification by faith. But for the Apostle Paul, this is an issue that's just, it's white hot for him. It's white hot for him because he wants God's people to see that there's nothing they can do in order to earn God's salvation. But what they must do is they must, by faith, believe upon Jesus Christ and trust in him for salvation. And so Paul traces this thing all the way back to the covenant promise in the Old Testament, the covenant that God made with Abraham. The covenant God made with Abraham to bless God's people. And so this morning, here's what I want us to see as we, as we walk through the text. I want us to see that Christ, our Redeemer, took our curse and gave us his righteousness. Christ, our Redeemer, took our curse and gave us his righteousness. That's the first line this morning, kind of the thesis statement of, of where we're going this morning. But if you found your place in verse 10 of chapter 3, I want you to follow along as I read these five verses for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse for it is written curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith but the law is not of faith rather the one who does them shall live by them Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I wanted us to stop there this morning because I think it's really important that though this is basic, Uh, In one sense, it's foundational, and so it's really important, I think, that we deal with this issue of justification by faith, which what Paul is arguing here is that we are not justified by works. And that goes to really a foundational understanding of 
why we're not justified by works and why it's impossible for us to be justified by works. And that is this phrase, maybe you've heard it before, maybe not, it's called depravity of man, man's depravity. And it deals with our sinfulness as human beings. That we as human beings, though we're not as sinful as we could be perhaps, maybe there are things that we don't do that we could do, uh, or that we would do, that we desire to do, but we nonetheless are equally condemned before God because of our sin. In fact, as we'll see in a little bit, even because of one sin, we are worthy of condemnation. And so in verses 6 through 9 of chapter 3, Paul has been arguing by the line of reasoning from Old Testament Scripture that we're justified by faith, and he looks back to Abraham as the example for this. So look at what he says in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so what Paul's saying here is that Abraham wasn't considered righteous before God because of the things that he did. No, he was considered righteous before God because of his faith. His faith in who God was and in God's provision for him. And so in verses 10 through 14, Paul now continues developing this line of reasoning or this argument kind of from the opposite side of the coin. That is that he argues against justification by works. So the word justification... It's a legal term, and it's a legal term whereby a person is declared to be in right standing with God. So if you're taking notes, you would write down justification, declared to be in right standing with God. That means to be righteous before God. And so this is a pronouncement. Justification is a pronouncement, a declaration of the guilty person being pardoned from their sin. Now, the problem for the Galatian churches is that there was this group who had come in to the church. They were Jewish, and they had begun teaching the Galatian churches, the Christians, a false gospel, which in chapter 1, Paul says, really is no gospel at all. And so these Jewish teachers had deceived the young Christians, the, the, the immature Christians, into believing that Pronouncing faith in Jesus wasn't enough, or saying one believed, having faith in Jesus wasn't enough for salvation. Instead, what really had to happen to make sure that they had salvation was there was this code of living that they had to, they had to guard their lives or put their lives within. Uh, they had to live out what was known as the Jewish law in order to truly be saved. And so for them, that looked like things like uh, participating in circumcision for the Gentile, which was completely a Jewish thing. Uh, it, it looked like eating certain foods, uh, praying at certain times of day. All of these things uh, were, were being um, put upon the Gentile Christians. And so Paul's arguing against this. And Paul's saying, look, he, in fact, he says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so let me ask you this in verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the faith? I mean, by the flesh. And so Paul's arguing here, say, arguing to the, the Galatians, saying, look, it's, it's not about the, this performance-based thing. 
It's not about what you do, but it's about faith in a person, faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying faith alone, that's it. And so we we might approach this passage this morning and kind of be confused, but I want to try to head off that confusion by saying, well, what we're looking at here is a scenario of before faith comes. So what leads us up to the point of faith? Because that's what we're trusting in. And so Paul's saying we, we must first trust in the work of Jesus Christ and then walking by faith, walking by the Spirit, will lead us to live righteous and holy lives. And so the first thing we see this morning, the first implication is that performance-based salvation is destructive. We see this in verses 10 through 12. Performance-based salvation is destructive. Verse 10 really identifies the problem that's common to humanity. And that problem is thinking that by our performance, we can earn God's favor. You know, we fall into this trap thinking that, that somehow, intrinsically, we might be just a little bit different. We get caught up in this way of thinking that through our own self-effort, we can be good enough or we can do enough good things. We can be moral enough to merit God's favor. But friends, this is exactly what Paul is arguing against in verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law, he says, are under a curse. In other words, all who rely on this performance-based salvation to bring them to God, this performance, all who rely on this, he says, are Cursed. In fact, he goes on to say, quoting from Deuteronomy 27, 26, quoting from the Torah, the law itself, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. And so, contrary to what pastors like Andy Stanley would say, I don't know if you read the article or heard about the article that he said, uh, that he shared, or the sermon that he preached actually, but it came out in an article, and he said we need to unhitch the Old Testament from our faith, in essence is what he said. But Paul would say the exact opposite, we need to understand the Old Testament scriptures because they greatly inform our faith. Interestingly enough, Andy Stanley was preaching from Acts chapter 15, and here we have the, 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 the outgrowth from Acts chapter 15 to the, in the epistle to the Galatians. And so, Timothy George, one commentator, writes, The church cannot be the Israel of God without taking with utmost seriousness the God of Israel. And so in, in Galatians 6.16, Paul actually says that the church is the Israel of God. Meaning that now the church, we are the new people of God. We are the community of God. We are part of God's kingdom. And so there's been this Gentile inclusion with the Israelites, the people of God. And so now the kingdom of God goes beyond just the Jews. It's for Gentiles alike, which is the point that he's making with the blessing of Abraham. So you see the history of salvation runs from Abraham in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 12, when God makes this covenant with Abraham, and it goes through Moses to Christ in the New Testament. And so the law was crucial. The law here that he's talking about, it was crucial for Paul's understanding of salvation and Christ. But not as a way of being righteous before God. Not as a way of being righteous, but as a way of understanding how he is unrighteous 
and stands condemned before God. And so to be cursed, as he speaks of in verse 10, to be cursed is to be under the condemnation of God. So here's what the law actually does that Paul's saying. The law actually reveals our sinfulness. It reveals how unable we are to live according to God's righteous demands. So you read the Ten Commandments and you think to yourself, man, I've broken all of these. Well, when you read in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus begins to, uh, to exegete or to explain in the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments, we really realize, yeah, we have broken all of these. Now, the curse that he speaks about here is not for breaking all, but just for breaking one. And so Paul's actually making the argument, if you're, if you're trying to live by a, a moral code to earn God's favor or think that by some moral code you're different than anybody else, Paul's saying the reality is because of our human nature, we are sinful, we are utterly sinful. And we need God's grace in order that we might be saved. And so if we try to live according to this moral law to earn God's salvation, we fail we're condemned we're under a curse and this is the whole point of why Paul is saying the gospel is so good because Jesus Christ has done something that you and I can never do for ourselves so Paul's pointing out that even the Old Testament itself says that apart from living out the law perfectly a person cannot be justified before God because a faith that justifies isn't one that seeks to perform the law A faith that justifies is one that trusts in God's provision. So James says this. In the New Testament, Jesus' half-brother, leader of the the, the Jerusalem church, in his epistle, James chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. So the law was a necessary part of the intervening story of God's people. It was the time, it represented the time between the giving of of the covenant promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and the fulfillment of that promise in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the covenantal promise that he speaks about in this text to Abraham, it's important for us. The covenantal promise is seen in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. Listen to it. Here's what it says. And I will make of you a great nation, God speaking to Abraham. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what Pastor West referred to a moment ago uh, in his time of sharing and praying. This understanding that in the person and work of Abraham, God promises a blessing to all the nations. And that would come through the lineage of Israel as God's people and then be carried on into the person and work of Jesus Christ. So there's a lot that could be said there for the coming of the law and God's people not living up to the righteous demand of the law. But just to summarize, I think we could say that the law came to God's people through Moses and the law was given to shape and to form their character in line with God's holiness. But the law's demands were even too great for Israel because the law demands perfect obedience and the blessing offered by 
the law, that was to be in a right relationship with God, to walk righteously before God, that blessing was excluded because of man's depravity, because of man's sinfulness. And so the result was the curse. It was a curse for failure to live up to the law's righteous demands. Because the law actually shows us something different. It shows us how righteous God's demands are, but it shows us that we can't live up to those righteous demands. Maybe we can keep one or two or three, maybe even four. But we can't live up to God's righteous demands. We cannot perform at that level in a sense. And so verse 11 says, actually, no one. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And then he quotes from Habakkuk 2.4, another Old Testament reference. You see how Paul keeps going back to the Old Testament here to actually prove that the law is incapable to bring us to a righteous place. And so he says the righteous shall live by faith, not by the things they do, not by how, how they carry out the law. And so this was Paul's point about Abraham in verses 6 through 9. It was Abraham's faith in God's provision that made him righteous, not the things that he did. So this boils down to understanding we don't trust in ourselves for salvation. It's not about the things we do, the works we do. It's not about the moral quality of our lives. It's not about our performance. None of these things will achieve our salvation. Left to ourselves, we are utterly sinful. But on the flip side, this also means something else for those who who don't know Jesus Christ, that it means that our performance won't keep us from salvation. We're all condemned as lawbreakers equally under the curse of God for our sin. And this is something we all need to hear and think about. Children alike, hear me this morning. That we're all condemned before God because of our sin. That's the point of Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Every one of us, your parents included, we are all sinners. But there is a wonderful gospel truth in Romans 6 that Paul speaks about. That is, the wages of our sin, the payment for our sin is death. But there is this free gift of God to eternal life through Jesus Christ. There is a way that, that our sin, that our guilt is covered, is paid for, and that's through Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ. And so nothing that we have done in life will surprise God. No sin that we've committed will stop God from embracing us. I'm not saying that Once a person believes in God and Jesus, they can live any way they want. There's a difference between believing that God exists and that Jesus was a real man and trusting in God and trusting in Jesus for salvation. So I said that our performance won't keep us from salvation, and that's that's partly true. Our self-effort actually shows us that we are lawbreakers and condemns us. And as sinners, we're condemned under God's curse for our sin. But what actually keeps us from salvation is rejecting the person of Jesus Christ. 
It's rejecting the work that Jesus Christ has done in order to accomplish our salvation. Now, this is why the sacrificial system was implemented by God. It was implemented by God as a way of temporary provision for dealing with humanity's sin. Temporary because man continued to sin and man continued to break God's law. So, sacrifices were continually offered to pay for the sins of the nation of Israel, for the sins of God's people. But get this, the sacrificial system itself was a way of announcing the gospel beforehand. It was never intended, the sacrificial system was never intended or able to fully deal with the guilt of our sin. Instead, it it pointed us forward to the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so the sacrificial system points us forward to look to Jesus Christ, whom John says in John 1.29 is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so it's, it's only in light of the cross of Christ then, he became a curse for us, right? Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And so it's, it's only in light of the cross of Christ that we can grasp the horror of sin in light of the holiness of God. And then, only then can we see more clearly with the depth of God's divine grace that he meets us with through the person and work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ gave himself so that we might have eternal life. He became the way that the works of the law were satisfied. And so what we see is that performance-based salvation is actually destructive. It's, It's condemning for us to try to earn and merit our way to God. But we also see in verses 13 and 14 that faith-based salvation is life-giving. Faith-based salvation is life-giving. We see this glorious hope in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Christ became cursed by God for us. This is the story of our redemption. It's a story of God's marvelous grace. Though as a lawbreaker and a vile offender, though as one who is depraved and sinfully has rejected God, I'm due the consequences of my sin. Curse of the law. But what I receive is redemption. Because it says there, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What does it mean that Christ redeemed us? Well, the the Galatians would have understood this graphically. Redemption in this sense is it's pictured as being in the agora, in the marketplace, where every day slaves were auctioned off to the highest bidder. And redemption was the price that was paid in order to purchase that slave. And so redemption here declares that we've been bought with a price. It declares that Jesus himself purchased us with the highest price possible. 
Martin Luther, the great reformer, he, he calls this here a, a happy exchange where he says the sin, guilt, and hell of lost men and women are placed on Christ while his righteousness, his blessing, and his merit are imputed to those in whose place he stands. And so in verse 13, we have this picture of Christ as our substitute. And he has done this work of putting himself in our place. This is the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. That sounds heavy, but it's not. Penal meaning that he paid the penalty for us. Only Christ could take the wrath of God and live. Only Christ could take the wrath of God and then be resurrected. And though he did nothing to deserve it, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Christ himself paid the penalty for our sin. But not only that, he became our substitute. Christ himself became my substitute. Although he was, he was put to death by wicked men, Scripture says that his death was in accordance with the eternal purpose and predetermined plan of God. Do you understand what that means? God looked upon his creation and said, I'm going to give my son as the substitute to pay for the wickedness of man's sin, to to purchase, to to redeem this relationship that I created humanity to have as my image bearers. So we rightly conclude that Christ taking the curse that was due me was something that he did willfully. He did it willfully because he, he became a curse for us. Jesus was sent by the Father for this very purpose, to become a curse for us. Penal substitutionary atonement. Christ atoned for our sin he didn't just satisfy the penalty and become the substitute by becoming he didn't just take the curse it says here in galatians he became the curse he became a curse for us by becoming the curse for all who believe in him by faith he paid for he satisfied the curse of our condemnation by being the perfect sacrifice for sin. His death has given us life. He was the only one who could and did live out the law perfectly. Jesus Christ was the only one. And that's significant because verse 14 says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to all the Gentiles, might come to the Gentiles, that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Because of Jesus' sacrificial death, the blessing of Abraham, the blessings of Abraham, rather, have been extended to the Gentiles. God's salvation has been extended to all people. Blessing for all nations, Genesis chapter 12, right? This is the blessing that, that God promises through this covenant he makes with Abraham. That 
salvation would come to all peoples, that blessing would come upon all the nations. And we'll see next week in verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It doesn't say into offsprings, but it says to, to one, to your offspring who is Christ. And so it's pointing forward. Even in Genesis 12, God is saying, I've got this plan. I'm making this promise to you, and I'm going to fulfill it. And it's fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so it's not about walking in a... It's not about performing and carrying out the law. It's about having faith and trusting in God's provision and what he has promised. That's how we have salvation. That's how salvation comes. So how do you know that you're saved believer well because i go to church no no that's that's workspace salvation how do you know you're saved believer well because i i tithe no that's workspace salvation how do you know you're saved believer well uh, because i read my bible no that's not it either how do you know you're saved because jesus christ died on the cross and he satisfied god's wrath against my sin becoming the penalty for me, substituting himself for me, and atoning for me. Not only did God create us, he bought us. That's redemption. That's how we know we're saved. That's the answer to our salvation. And so when we get caught up in this, this mindset, thinking we've got to do all these things in order to be Christians, in order to be good Christians, or in order to, to, to have salvation... Take a step back and reflect upon the grace of God in Christ Jesus and the work that Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. And notice how verse 14 ends. So that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. You see, the promise of the Spirit given through faith it is the promise of new life. And so we, we, we experience redemption, not by our own works, but by the work of Christ in our place. We don't then continue lives of faith by trying to earn God's favor through our performance. Instead, we learn, get this, we learn to abide in Christ. We learn to walk by the Spirit and live Spirit-filled lives. This is why in chapter 5, Paul says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, right? There's no law. So we see here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, the result of our salvation is not to live by some checklist of, of do's and don'ts. Instead, instead, it's to live as new creations in Christ, experiencing freedom from bondage to sin and walking in the new life that, that Christ has given us through faith to walk in. And so we live by the Spirit of God, and, and our lives then are immersed in the Word of God. Not that we'll be looking to the things that we do for our salvation, but so that we'll be living by faith in Christ. And the reason we can do this is because our Redeemer took our curse and gave us his righteousness. You see, the curse of the law is that we're condemned because we cannot be good enough 
to earn God's favor. But the blessing of faith is that Jesus has become our curse and he's given us eternal life for all who by faith trust and believe in him. And it's this life of faith filled with the spirit that teaches us how to walk in holiness and righteousness. I'm not saying that we're to live anti-law. I'm saying that we trust in Christ for our salvation and we don't depend on the things we do in order to bring, make us Christians. We trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Well, this morning, if you have questions about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ or, or even how you take this step to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that I'd love to speak with you, me or one of the elders, uh, and we'll be gathered on the far side of the worship center here this morning, right by uh, the foot of the cross here. And we would love to speak with you and counsel you or talk to you, answer any questions you might have about what it means to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. It's very important to us to hear you out, uh, to listen, to pray with you, to talk to you about what it means to believe upon Jesus Christ and not trust in the things that we do to bring us salvation. Let us pray this morning. Our Father in heaven, Thank you that we see the faithfulness of your promise that even though in our sin we are unworthy to come to you and experience your blessing because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, you have made a way through him, through his sacrifice for us to be righteous before you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us this morning to receive that, to believe that, and to operate our lives by it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?